guess who's back? Back, back again. Up. Oops. Emmy's back with her friend. Welcome back, everyone. This is season four, everybody. Season four. One, two, three, four. Get your booty out the dough. <clears throat> you ready for this? For what? Three, two, one. I'm not very hyped today, guys. Sorry. I can't think of anything interesting to even talk about. I mean, I finished that logo that I talked about last episode at the end of season three. I finished it. And I'm excited because I'm getting a little knitted kitty cat that looks like um, Gypsy in exchange. Aw, cute. Yeah. My life is very boring right now, guys. Sometimes boring is better. I mean, honestly, yeah. I have been super tired today. And that's about it. <laughs> Ooh, one cool thing. So... I so one of my really good friends her name is Sasha her daughter her older daughter turned 13 this weekend and this previous weekend so the weekend of the 13th 14th yeah and they'd asked me you know to like bake her a little cake and some cupcakes and she wanted just a regular funfetti birthday cake, which I made from scratch. I did not use a box. Every recipe I looked up, if it called for a box, I vetoed the recipe. <laughs> but um, she wanted butterbeer cupcakes. And they were phenomenal. In the cake mix alone, you put half a cup of cream soda. Mm-hmm. So, like, this cake is, like, so fluffy. And then also inside the cake, you bake it with those tiny little Heath Bar pieces that they sell, like, to make, to bake with, basically. Like cookies and stuff. And so I baked them in there, so it was also, like, this, like, toffee-flavored cream soda kind of thing. And then... Um, I'm upset I didn't get one of these cupcakes. And then I made a caramelized butterscotch dip. To dip the top of the cupcakes in once they were baked and then let that sit for about 15 to 30 minutes whatever and let the cake like absorb that flavor and then I made a whipped butterscotch frosting mm. and put that on top yeah so I was like this is gonna be so much butterscotch it's gonna be way too sweet because butterscotch is very sweet yeah but they were actually kind of like savory in, in their way, like sweet and savory. Like, I don't know. It was a very nice combination. I thought it was a beautiful recipe. So, very upset still that I didn't get one. Girl. What kind of sister are you? Well, the kind who it only made like a little more than a dozen cupcakes. <laughs> I ate like five of them at her birthday party though. I was so hungry and all there was was sweets and so I was just like mowing down on some cakes, some cupcakes, some candy, you know. Get your grub on, girl. I really want some candy, to be honest. I recently worked for about three weeks at a childcare facility here in Burlington and whatever, I ended up, that's when I contracted covid was 
I started showing my symptoms about a week before I left. Mm-hmm. No, little more than a week. You know, I let them know that I had been tested. I tested positive. Well, first that they had said, you know, you're eligible to be tested when I did the assessment. And then after the assessment, I told them, you know, three days, up to three, three days to wait for the results. Day and a half passed. They called me. Yes, you have COVID. Da, 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 da. You need to be off for 10 days. So I told my work and then they demanded a doctor's note and a written testimony as to basically what happened when I started to feel sick, what my symptoms were, blah, blah, blah. So I did that. I got my doctor's excuse, but the doctor's excuse only said, excuse Emily Stutzman until da, 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 and she may turn, return to work. So I emailed that stuff like they asked me to. And I was, I then was basically treated like I was not being honest about the fact that I tested positive for COVID, which working in childcare, you're not, I mean, you don't get paid if you don't work. So I don't know why I would lie. And then basically we were supposed to have gotten paid while I was off because of COVID. And I still have not received my check over three weeks later. Like after this episode, if I haven't gotten my check, it'll be a month since they paid me well um, I contacted the Better Business Bureau and the Iowa Workforce to try to find out like how can I get my money because they're telling me I cannot come to the facility to pick up my paycheck so I contacted like I said Better Business Bureau Iowa Workforce and now I have another basically the owner of the company emailing me that they mailed my check on August 22nd and they didn't know I hadn't gotten it and they sh- they gave me the That's last... That's such bullshit because you'd been emailing them the whole fucking time asking for your check and they're like, yeah, it's mailed. Yeah, supposedly August 22nd they sent it out and she gave me the last three digits of the check number. Not that that's going to matter. Like, why does that matter to me? Because I guarantee they typed, or they got my check ready, but they never mailed it. Yeah, guaranteed. But, so now, what are they going to do? Void that check, make it seem like they did send it, and they don't know what happened to it. And, even though they should be in trouble. That's my opinion. I feel like that is not okay. Like, I have bills. I have to pay. And that's kind of shitty. Well, yeah, like, nobody wants to work for free. No. Like, that's basically what they've done, is they've made it so that you supposedly work for free. And what would they do if you weren't the kind of person that's going to defend yourself and go after that money? Like They would never mail me my check. Just like how one of my friends quit there a couple weeks before I left, and she told me she still hasn't gotten her final paycheck. So that's like a month and a half. She needs to file a complaint, too. I think she did. At least she told me she was going to. But, Yeah. I just kind of wanted to let you guys know what was kind of going on with me. It's bullshit, I tell you. Oh, that's what I was going to say. And everybody that listens to this podcast knows how I feel about children. So I would rather have been doing anything than being there most days. But I needed money. I needed a job. 
is a girl who was like, I really love this place. Blah, 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 blah. Even though... Except for the condescending people that you worked for. Yeah. But anyway, you know, I'm sorry, but if there are other jobs that I would rather do than work with small children. I think part of the reason why I'm having trouble coming up with something to talk about is because I'm super excited about this week's topic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's all my brain is thinking about. So, I basically want to have a conversation with Jennifer on a recording about something that deeply concerns me. Oh, no. How can you eat sauerkraut? It smells like dirty fucking drawers. It tastes so good, though. It smells like someone with a stank booty was boiling actually, their underpants. It actually smells more like stank coochie. Ooh. But. Who's coochie? Is your coochie stanky like that? No. <laughs> I just imagine that's what stank coochie smells like. Coochie stank. <laughs> but, like, it tastes so good. And, like, the pull of sausage that grandma cooks in with it, like, it's so fucking bomb. Like, I can't. <sighs> I don't know why I love it so much. I just do. Yeah, we had dinner plans with my grandma yesterday, which I knew what she was making, but I just wanted to come spend time, whatever. But the thing that drives me nuts with my family is it's like this, oh, well, more for us. Like, that's supposed to offend me. I don't understand why she didn't just let it go that you didn't want to eat it. Oh, my God. She would not drop it. And, like, with me, like, with a soup of jello. And I was, she's like, you want jello? And I'm like, no, thank you. And then she got jello and she's like, mmm, this jello is so good. Mmm. And I'm like, you sure you don't want some, Jennifer? Yeah. I'm like, enjoy that jello, grandma. And then she's like, well, there's two more of them in there. Which it was good jello. But yeah, so grandma made Polish sausage and sauerkraut and mashed potatoes and corn. And I, my meal consisted of a cup of noodles, some potatoes, some corn, chicken and a biscuit crackers, and I think that's it. I ate everything Grandma made, and I loved it. So I really want to know, does anyone who listens to us like sauerkraut? And why? I need to hear the arguments of what's so great about it. Because I feel like anything that smells that bad... Could not taste that good. Even though I will eat sauerkraut on a Reuben. But here's the difference. It's sm- I smother it in like Thousand Island. Like the whole sandwich. I probably could eat a Reuben, just the corned beef and the sour... Or the um, Thousand Island. Oh, yeah. And it would be fine. Like I probably wouldn't miss the sauerkraut. I'd be like, instead of sauerkraut, throw some pickles on that hoe. <laughs> substitute yeah i want a pickle kraut a sour um dill pickle <laughs> i don't know but anyway i love pickles Sour-crout. i mean that might be good put some like dill relish in that shit yeah so good but i also love thousand island dressing 
I don't really like it so much on like my salads, but I like it like on Big Mac and I love it on a Reuben. I love it. Oh, and it, there's a restaurant here in town called Gators and they have a Reuben melt wrap. It's so good. It is pretty good. I also like their uh, wrap that they have that has the um, almonds, horseradish sauce that's oh. in it. It has like the steak and cheese and oh, I've never had that before. It's so good. I think there. And here's another unpopular opinion, guys. I do not like steak. I have tried it in multiple different forms. I tried getting the butcher's. Oh, oops. I tried getting the butcher's meat and potatoes at. Um, Applebee's once and I don't know if it was steak meat but it was some kind of beef and it was so hard for me to chew and that's the thing like Kevin once made me a steak that he like um pan seared didn't David make you a steak once that he had marinated in um uh Italian dressing and then grilled it that you liked I don't think so I don't remember ever having steak here. And I feel bad because, like, why would you want to waste steak on me? Like, someone who does not appreciate it. It's expensive. It is expensive. I like to have him grill me a steak and then eat it with horseradish sauce. She likes him to grill her a steak, then feed it to her butt naked in bed. Hmm. She sucks it right off the bone. Oh, God. <laughs> you perv. <laughs> But anyway, we're back. This is season four. This is a new season full of lots of fun new opportunities and fun new stories and fun new topics and just fun, 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 fun and scary and spooky and weird and eerie and what else? <laughs> Spooktacular. Spooky. Spooktacular, spooktacular. Spooky the pooky. Pooky the spooky. Anyway, yeah. Here we are. Yet again. Do we ever introduce ourselves? Probably not. So this is Emily. <laughs> and in case you didn't already know, this is Jennifer. And... Yeah. Buddy. Terry. And we are reading the screens hostesses and anybody who maybe is listening that hasn't like listened to us before what jennifer and i do is we basically just pick any kind of topic and it's not necessarily like really creepy what we do every week like sometimes it's just topics that we find interesting but we kind of find go for the more like gory side of it or like perverse side of it but i mean we just discuss it every week. We both do research and we talk about things that are kind of related to each other, I guess. Our goal is usually to give you as many what the fuck moments as possible. Yeah, so our one's like, oh my god, why would she even want to read that? And just remember, that's why. That's why. And that's the way. Uh huh, uh huh. But yes, so if you're new, tuning in, listening for the first time, welcome. We don't really have any direction. <laughs> we just kind of, 
We just kind of go. So you love us or you hate us. Get in, hit record, and then hit the gas. Hit the gas, baby. Whatever happens shall happen. I discovered a podcast that I've actually like enjoyed listening to. It's called The History Chicks, mm-hmm. I think. And it's these girls talking about like women in history. I was on their their iTunes because I was like, okay, I want to see like maybe what they're doing that we're not doing because if you listen to it, it's very like has the same feel as us, but I'm pretty sure it's two girls um recording long distance too because the one's mic quality is like really good and the other one's is not as good. Yeah. And I was really kind of upset with like all the shade that people were throwing on them for their quality of like their sound on their podcast and in the freaking reviews. I don't know. In my opinion, if you don't like how it sounds or whatever, like move the fuck on. You don't have to review it. If you don't like it, nobody not everybody has to like it, but like don't rag on people. Come on. Life is too fucking short. Not everybody has the money that they need to be able to get the equipment that's actually necessary to have a good quality recording. But that doesn't mean they can't still put their ideas and thoughts out there. Right, and these women are very entertaining to listen to. Talk, both of them. More so even the one that has the lower quality recording equipment or whatever. I think she's funny. I think she's very educated. She comes across very eloquently. Like, they're cool. And she's also, like, I don't know if I said she's funny, but Mm -hmm. she's funny. So anyway, if you want to check out shit about... Shit about... (laughs) If you want to check out stuff about women throughout history and all different things, check them out. They're pretty cool. Yeah. But also, make sure to check out the PFPN. Yep. Do it. Alright, so this week's topic is pretty exciting. So, Emily and I have actually chosen to pick female serial killers, and tell you all about them. Hence why this episode is called The Angry Beavers. (laughs) I'm also pretty excited about the the name that you came up with before we even did this whole thing. Oh. Oh. Cracks me up. Yeah, I thought it was pretty clever. Pretty witty. Pretty punny. Okay, so since we were doing... Female serial killers, my thought process had been that I was going to do a female kind of like Eileen or from like the movie Monster or the one lady I told you about that had turned her murder victims into soap that she'd given her neighbors. Something like more in this time. Yeah. But I was doing a lot of research and I was like, I know this is from... The 1600s. Oh shit, that's a long time ago. Yeah, but she was fucked up. And I know the part about it being so fucked up, that it was able to be so fucked up is kind of like when I did my... When we did our haunted hotels and I did the World Trade Hotel that was H.H. Holmes' murder castle or whatever. Yeah. So 
a lot of stuff was able to go on. I feel like that wouldn't be able to go on today 100% because things are different. Way yeah. different. So anyway, so the, I decided I was going to talk about Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bathory. But Elizabeth Bathory was actually born Elizabeth Bathory. And I'm not really sure if it's just that Elizabeth translates to Elizabeth or what. But everywhere refers to her as Elizabeth. So, she was born in Hungary on August 7th of 1560. And she was actually a child of incest Whoa. because her father and mother were first cousins. That's not weird at all. Yeah, and as a child, Elizabeth suffered from what they called falling sickness, which nowadays is known as epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And... Some places tried to say, like, maybe that is a, like, is from the inbreeding. But listen, I've had seizures, and I'm pretty sure I'm not inbred that like, I know of. Doesn't mean there wasn't inbreeding that happened somewhere in our family line at some point. Oh, Lord. Um, but either way, she had epilepsy, falling sickness, <laughs> falling sickness, whatever it was, she had it. And... It's really, like, sadistic back then, the treatment for epilepsy. Mm -hmm. They either would take the blood of a non-sufferer, so someone who did not have epilepsy, and rub it on their lips. And then after an epileptic seizure, they would actually give the epileptic, non-epileptic's blood and a chunk of their skull. What? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but it's... An, Maybe all of this was when it all began for her, like... I mean, I know they didn't know any better, but, like... Right. What the fuck? Yeah, nowadays like, we know that there's no cure, really, in your blood, because except for just giving each other AIDS and all kinds of things. Well, like, I know, like the fact that we know more now, yes, but, like, why would you think that... It was ever okay. That drinking someone else's blood or whatever was going to solve the problem. And blood tastes nasty. It tastes so, like, metallic-y. Yeah, it's because of all the iron and stuff that's in it. Nasty. Ironic. Yeah, so it's said that as a small child, Elizabeth actually witnessed different forms of tor torture that her family would inflict on people. They said that she laughed as a man who was being punished for stealing his body was actually sewn into the body of a horse. And I know you, like, you guys can't see my face, but I'm making a crazy ass face at Emily right now. <laughs> so yeah, she was supposed to have witnessed like all kinds of fucked up stuff, like severe be beatings that they'd give to like the servants and stuff. So she was brought up to think mistreating people lower than her was okay. Because Elizabeth actually, so she, her uncle was the king of Poland, and her nephew was the prince of Transylvania. Oh. And so she was born a Hungarian noblewoman, obviously. She was actually said to be extremely beautiful, and at the age of either 10 or 11, because everywhere I did any research, because obviously I fact-checked a lot, when she was either 10 or 11, that she became engaged to Count Brents, Brents, not a, not a C. 
My guess is probably an arranged engagement, because what the f- what ten or eleven year olds like? Oh yeah, I'm gonna marry you. You're probably some old fart, but I'm gonna marry you. And she actually later married him at the age of fifteen on May eighth, fifteen seventy nine. So when they married, she was fifteen and he was nineteen. And I know because of the fact that considering today, fifteen is a minor. And 19 is considered an adult makes it seem very rapey. But I have a feeling that back then it was very normal. Oh, yeah, it's a common thing, I think. If you're old enough to bleed, you're old enough to breed. Yep. I mean, <laughs> and your lifespan back then was not nearly as long as it is now, so. Yes. But, okay, and listen to this. I wish I married a man who would do this for me. He gifted Elizabeth the castle of Chatea. Shitty. <laughs> um, and the count actually had received the castle as a gift from his mother in 1569. So Elizabeth and her husband have five children, and they actually didn't have their first kid until five years into their marriage, I believe. I believe. Either five or ten. But one or the other. So it says, oh, 25, so ten years. So Elizabeth and her husband had five children, well, only three of those children survived. Her daughter, Anna, was born in 1585 when Elizabeth was 25 years old. They also had Ursula, born in 1590. Catalan was born in 1594. Andrus was born in 1596 and died in 1603, so he was seven. Mm-hmm. Paul was born in 1598 and died in 1650. There was also other speculations that she had another child named Miklos, but it was never confirmed and there's no documentation of it and he was not in her will. So maybe he was one of the kids born and died. Like maybe he was like a stillborn. It's possible. I don't know, but... Or like born and lived only a couple days or something. Yeah. But there were also stories that Elizabeth, at the age of 13, had had a child with a peasant, a peasant boy or a servant or whatever, and the child had been given away to someone in the town and then sent away, never to be heard of or seen again. And But it is said that Count Ferenc basically found out about it, and he had the boy castrated and thrown to a pack of wild dogs. Oh, fuck. So, honestly, it's said that that happened, but there's, again, no confirmation. It's all fucking stories. So, at this point, I'm going to say it's probably not factual. But whether or not it's not factual, it does not stray away from the fact that this entire story is fucked up. So, then, in 1578, Elizabeth's husband became the chief commander of the Hungarian troops in a war against the Ottomans. So with the war going on, you know, her husband's gone a lot, being the chief commander of the freaking troops. Yeah. So Elizabeth is left in charge of the estate and as representation for the Hungarian and Slavic people. And this included medical care. Oh, no. So in 1601, Elizabeth's husband's health began to decline very quickly as he began can getting debilitating pains in his legs where he was unable to walk for like very prolonged periods of time and if he would rest in the beginning it was like if he'd rest then he'd be okay 
but towards the end, so then in 1603, he became completely disabled, unable to walk, and then passed away in G on January 4th, 1604. He left his heirs and widowed to Jorge Thurzo. Elizabeth had a local priest come to the castle a whole bunch of times to perform funeral service, services for many servant girls. Eventually, the priest became, became basically like very, very suspicious because all of these girls were dying and he was asking to come, you know, do these funeral services for them and she was claiming that they were dying of cholera. Mm -hmm. So the priest actually took Elizabeth to the side at one point stating, Your grace should not have acted so because it offends the Lord and we will be puni punished if we do not complain to you and criticize your grace. And in order to confirm that my words are true, we need only exhume the body, the body, and you will find the marks identifying the way in which death occurred. Oh. So basically, he's like, "No, you're killing them." And I know you are. So. Yeah. So she got really pissed, I guess, stormed out, whatever. And honestly, most of her assaults and murders were completed after her husband's death. But it was stated that her husband had gifted her a, a clawed glove so that she would be able to rip up the faces of the servants that disobeyed her. I mean, it was even to the point that I guess like one, it, they even missed like, missed like a stitch on a dress they'd sewn or anything like that. Like they, like they had to be perfect. And I guess. Ain't nobody perfect. Right. From what I gathered, what bonded them so strongly, Elizabeth and her husband, was their mutual love for violence. Okay. And so, on top of ripping these servants' faces off, basically, her husband had a real interest in torture, and I guess showed her how to roll up an oiled piece of paper, placing it between the toes of a servant and setting it on fire. So, at this time, when so many servants were coming up missing... Or accusations of torture were being like tossed around nobody cared because at that time servants were disposable to the nobles they owned them yeah it's like with um the plantation people in the united states and their slaves that they thought they needed to have it's the same type of thing yeah they those the slaves were not servants were not protected by the law basically at all like they're protected by the law basically from each other but not from their masters, basically. Yeah. So, um, it was not until other noble girls from surrounding areas started coming to Elizabeth's because Elizabeth was supposed to be this very intellectual, very smart. Like, she spoke, I think, four different languages. Like, all this stuff. So, these younger noble girls would come stay with her to be taught. And then they would come out, you know saying Elizabeth had done these horrible things to them. There were girls that claimed Elizabeth would torture them, driving needles underneath their fingernails. There were even accounts of her biting a chunk out of the face of one of her victims. Oh, she, would, she would slice up the girl's lips and nose, which I'm assuming was with the claw. Maybe. Um, stripping them naked and forcing them into deathly ice baths. Some victims were covered in honey and left outside for the insects and animals to consume. There were even some counts of her burning the genitalia of her victims. 
Jesus. Yeah. And then some of the victims that Elizabeth actually didn't kill herself, she basically would torture and torture and torture them. And when she was sick of that person or she didn't think they were any use to her anymore, she would throw them over the castle wall to be devoured by wolves. Jesus. So basically, she's like Ramsay. Yeah. From Game of Thrones. That dude is fucked. I hated him so much. Maybe they based his character off of her. Maybe. So, there were actually accusations of her draining the blood of virgins and bathing in it in an attempt to preserve her youthful beauty. So, the thing is, though, about that, I just thought that was an interesting thing because it's so creepy. Yeah. But the stories of her supposedly bathing in the virgin's blood didn't really even come out to like, a hundred years later. So, pretty much, there's no way... Speculation. Yeah. So, but... It makes the story a little more gruesome and sadistic, I guess. So on December 29th, 1610, Thurzo, Thurzo, mm-hmm. or however you say his last name. So this is the guy who had everything basically willed to him. Yeah. Um, surprised Elizabeth with an inspection and caught Elizabeth mid-torture. Ooh. At this time, he imprisoned Elizabeth in the castle. So four of her servants were arrested, three females and one male. They were questioned and tortured. Their trial began in the beginning of January 1611, and all servants tried to deny their responsibility to any of the deaths or torture that occurred. And they continued to, like, throw blame around. Like, they'd either throw the blame on other ones between the four servants, or they'd throw the blame at Elizabeth. But none of them wanted to be culpable for anything that happened. Yeah. But they did admit to the fact that the servants were burying some of her victims and the counts of the victims that they'd buried for her varied from 36 to 51 people. Um, the servants were found guilty and sentenced to death and their executions happened very, very quickly. The women had their fingers ripped off before their bodies were burned while they were still alive. Mm -hmm. So that's how they tortured them was rip their fingers off and burn them. And then the male was beheaded. So at some point during all of this, Elizabeth had seeked out the help of a witch named, oh my, I didn't look up how to say this, Erzi Mahorla. That's what my favorite name is. From magic to assist her with the death of King Matthias and for um, Jorge Thurzo. So she basically was like, I want them dead. Do some dark <laughs> voodoo magic. Kill those bitches. And this was, when this was found out, actually, the witch was sentenced to death and her body was burned. Ooh. A witness claimed that Elizabeth had made a list at some point of all her victims that included more than 650 people. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Through the entire trial, they questioned 289 witnesses receiving all of their statements. Inevitably, because of the fact that uh, Elizabeth was a noble woman. They were not trying her. They did not put her on trial mm-hmm. because it would have, I mean, completely the name would have just completely obliterated a lot Yeah. for her entire family. So basically she was found guilty, but was not put to death or exposed as being guilty because of her status. And they actually walled her into her castle and left just slits for them to be able to put food and water through. 
for her. She w- And she was completely alone. They took all her servants from her. She was in there by herself. And... That's crazy. Yeah, so she was in there from 1610 until 1614 when she finally died. And they say remains were put in the crypt on the state and her body was later moved and nobody knows where her body is now. So when it was all done, it is believed that she actually killed more than 250 young women, ranging from servants to noble girls. That is crazy. Jeez. That's deep. Insane. Insane in the membrane. Go insane. Got no brain. But yeah, that's Elizabeth Bathory of Hungary. I should have known you'd pick something that's super fucked up. Like, I should always just know. (laughs) Like, whenever I doubt myself, I should just really doubt myself and go big or go home. But yeah, that's my girl, Elizabeth. Here we are. (laughs) Whoever here is, I can't tell you. In the history of serial killers, their reasons have always varied from infamous acts of revenge, passionate crimes, ambition... To really, any reason that they can come up with. Just being really fucked up. Yeah. So. Like Elizabeth. Yeah. I personally have always thought that most serial killers do what they do because they get a feeling of, like, empowerment from it. Like, taking someone's life satisfies them in some way. Which, it's kind of like they're playing God and feeling that they have the last word in regards to someone's life. Basically, that is what is so invigorating and inebriating for them and makes it so that they can't stop. They're like the whole, I'm in charge of your life basically now and you're going to die. The story I'm about to share with you deals with this superiority complex used to decide what is best for their victims, even though they really are not in any position to make these sinister decisions. No, nobody's in the position to make that decision. They don't even do euthanasia. In 1945, Japan had been forced to sign an unconditional surrender to end the war. The country suffered a terrible social crisis due to the traumatic consequences of being in a war and the atomic bombs that were dropped on their country. Japan's population was in its worst misery and ended up experiencing a massive baby boom. It is believed that this is the link to the great number of postponed marriages due to the war and couples who were forcibly separated due to the war. It is estimated that in Japan alone that 2.6 million babies were born annually from 1947 to 1949. Damn! Yeah. On January 12th of 1948, two police officers from the Waseda precinct in Tokyo accidentally came upon the remains of five infants. The officers were shocked at what they found, obviously, and then upon autopsy, it showed that these infants did not die from natural deaths. Surprise! Surprise! Mm -hmm. This discovery led to an investigation, and that led to the arrest of Mayuki Ishikawa, as well as two conspirators. Oh, shit! There were multiple people involved? Yeah, girl. So, <sighs> there is not much information about the 
existence of Mayoki's early life, I wasn't able to find a whole lot. However, I was able to find that she was born in 1897 in the southern Japanese town of Kunatomi. Kunatomi! And also I found that she had attended and graduated from the University of Tokyo and that she had married a man named Takeshi Ishikawa. Oh. So her career led her to being a midwife at the Kotobuki Maternity Hospital and she eventually became the director of the maternity hospital. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So during this time in Japan... Abortion was illegal, and those who attempted to prevent a pregnancy were severely punished. So, like, if somebody was taking, like, birth control or using condoms, they'd be in trouble? Yeah. That's some bullshit. So, there were a lot of couples who were having children that they were not able to financially care for. So, Mayuki knew this, and also knew that charitable resources were not really available at the time. And through cold calculation, she decided that it would be best if these children were killed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, to me, I think there's a huge difference between finding a viable solution to a social and economic crisis than deliberately killing babies in an attempt to help struggling families. Yeah, I mean, I would say... I wouldn't want to kill a baby. So, overall, Mayuki killed somewhere between 103 and 169 infants. They don't know, like, the exact number, but based on, like, the stories that they've heard from people and the, like, bodies that they were able to recover, that's the number that they've arranged that they're comfortable with. That's insane. That many babies. Yeah. So, get this though. So, there were other midwives in the hospital who knew of the practice. And the local government ignored them, so many of them left the hospital because they did not want anything to do with what Mayuki was doing. So, they'd gone to the police and the police were not doing shit. They were just kind of looking the other way. It's honestly, like, very impressive, really, that while this secret was so open... And so many people had knowledge of it that no one did anything to stop her. Like, at all. For real. And it just gets worse from here. Because if you didn't already think that the act of killing defenseless infants was repulsive enough, Mayuki referred to what she was doing as a business, and she had her husband and a doctor help her with a situation. She had Dr. Shiro Nakayama draw up false death certificates for the infants saying that they were killed or, like, what they died from, even though that's not really what they died from. Yeah. And then she had her husband going around asking the parents for large sums of money. And he would tell them that it was cheaper to pay for them to take care of the kid for them than to raise a child. So, so basically, basically parents were agreeing to her killing their kid then. But I don't know if the, like, because I wasn't able to find that much about it. I don't know if they were actually telling them that they were killing the kids or if they were just, like, buying the kids from the parents. 
Oh, gotcha. That that part I don't know. After the police had found the five corpses and that the investigation had led to the arrest of Mayuki, her husband, and Dr. Nakayama, they set up a citywide search to try and discover how many of how many children Mayuki had taken care of. Taken care of. Taken care of business. Mayuki. So their search actually led them to the discovery of 40 infant corpses in a, in a mortician's house. And then a further 30 more were discovered buried under a temple. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And the number of dead bodies recovered and the length of time over which the murders take place made it very difficult for the authorities to determine the exact number of victims, like I told you earlier. Yeah. Basically, her total death toll is really unknown, but they do know that it was way, like it was more than 100. She's wild. Yeah. So, during her trial, Mayuki argued that her victims were all deserted children. And so she insisted that the parents were all responsible for their deaths because of the neglect. Listen, Mayuki, you wish. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you could, like, give birth to something and even though, like, you're in poverty, be like, I'm just going to sell my child. I grew it inside of me and popped it out, but I'm just going to sell it off to somebody. I mean... There are a lot of people who do that. have, like, adoptions and stuff anyway. And if you really can't afford to have a kid, like, you might be like, oh, well, let me pay somebody to take this kid off my hands so I don't have to deal with them and I don't have to worry about how how expensive it's going to be for the rest of its life or my life. Or I mean, whatever. that is true. That is true. I didn't think about it in that context. Yeah. So the defense that she had told them about it being the parents' fault um, was actually received well by the public and they gave her all of their support because they thought that that was what she was saying was right and there's also um in the japanese law there was literally no thing in there that would give infants any rights so like they were basically not really considered people at that point like as babies when they can't talk and japan so because of these poorly written laws, her homicides were viewed more as a crime of omission. And Mayuki was only sentenced to eight years in prison. And her husband and Dr. Nakayama were only sentenced to four years in prison. Then, somehow, miraculously, Mayuki and her husband managed to have their sentences through an appeal that they took to the Tokyo High Court in 1952, and her husband only ended up serving two years, and she only served four. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I'm going to kill some people, Japan's where I need to move. <laughs> so, Mayuki's death toll remains unrivaled by any other serial killer in Japan, and she is considered the most prolific serial killer in Japanese history. And that's even though she didn't even really pay for the crimes that she committed, she's still considered the most prolific serial killer. Well, yeah, there was so much death toll. And honestly, like, all... She wasn't doing anything specifically to kill them, but she wasn't taking care of them. 
like, gee, they would just, like, put them somewhere until they died. Like, they that's awful. Like, if you're at least. Change them and. If you're going to kill them, kill them. Don't leave them to starve to death or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Get taken by an animal or anything like that. You fucking, fucking bitch. <laughs> there had been similar cases to this in Japan that occurred prior to this incident as the people of Itabashi were accused in 1930 of murdering 41 foster children and Hatsu Hatsutaro Kawamata was arrested in 1933 for murdering at least 25 foster children. And at that point, the government was aware of the crisis, but did nothing to intervene or make it illegal in any way. So the incident with Miyuki is regarded as the principal reason that the Japanese government began to consider the legalization of, <laughs> of abortion in Japan. So on July 13, 1948, the Eugenic Protection Law, that was also known as now the Mother's Body Protection Law was established as well as a national examination system for midwives. Oh, so that just no nobody could... Yeah, so they... Like, not just anybody could become a midwife. Yeah, like, they had to go through a special training class to be able to qualify to be a midwife. And then they actually made laws so the mothers could make their own decisions on the babies versus somebody else doing it for them. Because the thing that I find so bizarre about this woman is that she's wanting to turn around and say it's the parents' fault for neglect. But if the parents, if you, if she was basically telling these parents, like, I will take care of your child, you know, it's it's not like if they knew that's how she was going to do it, they would have sold that child to her. Yeah, like... I don't feel like anyway. I mean, some of them might have been, wouldn't have been all of them. And to say that it's the parents' fault for them neglecting them, well, that is virtually what she was doing. Like, 100% was literally just leaving them to die. She was neglecting them. So Mm -hmm. maybe their parents didn't give them this great life, but you had the opportunity to, and you just left these hundreds of babies, well, not hundreds, but you know what I mean, Yeah. over 100 babies to die. So on June... 24th, 1949, Japan finally legalized abortion under the eugenic protection law for economic reasons. So because of the fact that people were struggling so much, they legalized abortion so that they could get rid of unwanted children if that's what they wanted to do. Well, basically to try to keep poverty poverty levels down too. Like. Yeah. Because, I mean, more mouths to feed means more money needed, and yeah. I mean, I get it. And there's lots of people who have kids that shouldn't have kids. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there really are. She's crazy. Yeah, she is very crazy. Like, I feel like she had already cooked up this idea in her head to where she could blame it on the parents if she ever got caught. Yeah. Or not that if she ever got caught because obviously law officials knew about it and just weren't doing anything about it. And I don't know if maybe they weren't doing anything because they didn't realize the severity 
to how many children she was more or less killing. Yeah. But either way, if somebody comes to you and says, I know she bought this baby and went off and fucking killed it, whether it's one baby, five babies, or a hundred babies. Well, no, like, like, she doesn't buy the baby. Like, she gets money oh, and the baby from the parents. They they're pay paying. Her they're paying her to, take, to take care of the babies. That bitch is wild. Like, I feel like they're was a lot of stuff that I would have liked to have known about her and the whole thing to be able to make to be able to give more information but I found quite a bit I guess but well it's hard to like stuff back then because I've been trying to research somebody and I literally can't find anything even about like a birthday yeah so it's kind of hard and mine was about the same time period that I was looking at so not for this episode, but yeah, it's difficult. And especially like if that person isn't really famous, like, and they're not talked about much, then more people aren't trying to like dig up information. Right. So there's a lot that we don't know. There definitely is a lot that we don't know. But I do know that this fucking bitch was fucking crazy. Both of these bitches were crazy. I mean, honestly. And oddly enough, they were both living in time periods where they people kind of looked the other way at first. Yeah. Was there any other serial killers that you almost did? Um, there was. There was another lady that I thought about doing. Um, let's see if I can grab her name real quick. Her name was Nanny Doss. And she had admitted to killing 11 people uh, between 1920 and 1954. And among those 11 people, um, four of them were husbands, <laughs> and two of them were her children, two of them were her sisters, and then she also killed her mother, a grandson, and a mother-in-law. Damn. Yeah. The truth about her spree finally emerged in October of 1954, after her fifth husband, Samuel Doss, died in a hospital in Oklahoma. An autopsy revealed an immense amount of arsenic in his system. Oh. And Doss confessed to a long list of murders, but was only convicted of killing Samuel. Her sentence was life in prison. Yeah, I had almost done Leonardo Cancioli. She was a Italian serial killer, but she was better known as the soap maker of Correggio. Correggio. <laughs> Pretty sure I just pronounced that right. Correggio. <laughs> but she murdered three women in her town. And from that was between 1939 and 1940. And she turned their bodies into soap and tea cakes. And she basically gave the What's soap. A tea cake? You don't eat those? A tea cake in England is generally a light yeast-based um, sweet bun containing dried fruit, typically served toasted and buttered. In the U.S., tea cakes can be cookies or small cakes. In India and Australia, a tea cake is more like a butter cake. So basically, she was, I don't know if she ate them herself, or she just gave the cakes away, or I, I didn't look too far into her, but I thought it was pretty awesome that she turned them into soap and gave it to her neighbors. I know we joked about this last night, but like, can you imagine, like, your neighbor moves in next door, and so you go over to visit them, and you give them some soap 
Okay. They come with like a little care basket. Like, hey. And then you go back home, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then you decide, oh, I'm going to kill my neighbors. So you go kill your neighbors. Go turn them into soap. And then once they've cleaned up that house, somebody else has moved in, whatever, whatever. Then you go over with another gift basket and give some soap to your neighbors. Well, now we know how to get rid of your weird neighbor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really, but. <laughs> We're not going to kill him. He's just weird. Yeah. He's harmless, I think. I don't know. If you have seen the movie Disturbia, don't think you know your neighbors as well as you think you do. You could have a serial killer living next door. Honestly. You could have a freaking pedophile living next door. Well, at least with pedophiles. As long as they're registered sex offenders, you can look it up. But we should look and see how many sex offenders live around you. I don't know if I want to know this. I really don't. Well, I'm going to look it up. I just won't tell her. But anyway, that's what we got on our female serial killers. So... A deer, a female deer. It's the first thing that came to my mind when you said so. Ray Charles. Anyway, so make sure you guys swing on by. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. You can even follow us on Twitter. We are on all podcasting networks or whatever. Um, whatever you want to call it. Platforms. So yep. whatever you're listening to us on now, keep listening to us. Like I stated, season four, we're starting to release episodes on Sundays at 10 a.m. So if you notice that the episode wasn't posted on Friday, well, now you have things to look forward to after your weekend is over. Yep. Don't forget to support your girls and visit my Etsy account, which Emily's going to drop a link in the uh, description for the episode. So you can go and get some of our merch. Yeah, we have things ranging from stickers, pop sockets. Our shirts still aren't up. I don't know why. Yeah, there's an array of different things. We're in the process of coming up with some Beauty and the Screams coasters, other stuff like that. We're in the making, so just swing by and show a little bit of support. Give us some love, guys. Give us some love. Yes, and I think that wraps it up. So make sure to come back next Sunday for our next episode, and we will see you next week. Keep it real. Keep it spooky. Keep it real spooky. Ah! Jesus Christ, my eardrums, you could have warned me!